We welcome you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How good it is that God has called us together today to be in worship. People of God, will you join with me in the call to worship? There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any work like yours. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. We will glorify the Lord together. Remember that our Lord Jesus can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, since in every respect he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with boldness approach the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let us confess our sins together. Lord and Savior, Holy God, we are grateful that you see us with eyes of mercy and grace, for we are in such need of your compassion. Forgive us when our desire for attention and adulation drives us to neglect our responsibilities, our privilege, 
to serve as messengers of the good news. We are often a people who seek our own glory, who feel superior to those we serve, and who would settle for flattery as payment for our good deeds. Humble us, dear Lord, lead us on the path of your wide mercy, and allow us to repent and become the loving and giving children that will bear witness to your glory. Amen. We continue now in a few moments of silence that we might personally confess our sin to the Lord. Amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. May the God of mercy who forgives you all your sins strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in abundant and eternal life. For I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. As the congregation prepares to share personal greetings, I would remind our children, fifth grade and younger, to meet their Sunday school teachers at the back of the sanctuary, and our youth, sixth grade and older, to gather in the youth room. Let us share the peace of Christ with others. How good it is to be a family of God here together, worshiping and greeting one another and to be among friends. Welcome to all of you. I'd like to just draw your attention to a few things that are happening in the life of our congregation that you might want to be not only be aware of, but be part of. And one of it is one thing that we're doing is we have a Lenten devotional that's been prepared. And we'd love for you to take, make use of that and for part of your spiritual journey for these 40 days. So we have an electronic form, and we also have some in hard copy. So if you just let the church office know which you would like, we would be happy to make that available to you. 
Also, we have a really great class that's going to be available this coming Thursday evening on February 22nd from 6.30 to 8 in the parlor. This is a class that's hosted and, and sponsored by our own Stephen Ministries. The topic is caring for people experiencing life's major medical crisis. This is an opportunity not only maybe to get some insights into those who are experiencing those crises, but how do we approach them? What do we say? Sometimes it can be very awkward and sometimes we tend to hold ourselves back. But with good tools and communication uh, 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 toolkit, we can actually come closer and approach them on during that really time when they need our support. So I encourage you to make use of that. Also, next Sunday, February 25th, we have our congregational meeting. And it will be at, as we begin to close this service before the benediction, we'll have a very brief meeting of the congregation, and it's a, an important time in the life of the church, so just to make you aware of that. We have an opportunity to help serve the homeless this Saturday on February 24th with our branch barbecue. We'll serve a meal to those in need at Ventura Cove in the Mission Bay area. If you want more information about that, go to our website or you can call the church office. And if you're able to go down and be part of that, it's really a great, a great experience. So I encourage you to do that. If you're not able to go down, but you have a stove at your house, then you could bake cookies or brownies and bring them to the church anytime during the week, and we'll make sure they go down with that barbecue. This is really important because, you know, people bond together over brownies and cookies. That's the truth. And I just want to put in my two cents. Where's the Rice Krispie treats? That's sort of... <laughs> That's all I want to say. You know, the kind with the little tiny miniature M&Ms in them? Maybe that's too specific, but is that asking too much? <laughs> Come on. So I really encourage you to uh, be creative and bring those treats by the church, and we want to make sure everybody has plenty. We have a new member seminar that's coming up on March 3rd. And at 11.45 to 1.45, this is a great opportunity. If you want to know more about this church, you want to know more about membership, you just want to understand what we're all about, this is a wonderful opportunity to come and talk to Jack and myself and some of the key leaders in the church, and we really want to have that conversation with you. And we'll have lunch, maybe even Rice Krispie Treats, who knows? <laughs> But we have so many wonderful things happening in the life of our church, so many ways that this church touches and reaches lives. And one way that is one of the most uh, particularly special things to this congregation is in the area of mission. And right now we have this great opportunity that's coming up, and I'd like to invite our youth director, Chris Hecker, uh, along with the Plant for Purpose uh, uh, liaison, Rich McMullins, who'd come up and tell you a little bit about an exciting adventure that they're headed out for. Let's give all these young people a big welcome, please. <laughs> this is not only the future of your church, this is your church right now, amen? My name is Rich McCullen, and I am the Plant with Purpose representative, and I work directly with the Village Church. For years now, the Village Church has stood by Plant with Purpose's side to make a difference worldwide, to go in the most remote places of the world, to empower people, to help reforest their, their forests, their lands that have, got, that have gone completely dry today because of your support, those lands are full of trees. This year, Plant with Purpose and all its work with farmers and people around the world, we are celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. For 40 years, this church has stood with us. For 40 years, you've been with us, making a difference in the lives of thousands of people. Now, something that's not taken place for over a decade is a youth, a Plant With Purpose, Village Church, Village Church Plant With Purpose, Vision Trip, Mission Trip, Service Trip, whatever title you like to give it, it has not happened for over 10 years. Well, this year, this year, June 23rd to the 28th, we are changing that. Young people from this community of faith 
will go to the Dominican Republic to make a difference, to not go and, and say, here, we have all the answers, but to go and to learn from people, to be a part and to journey alongside people where God is already there. Amen, church? Amen. I'm sorry, I have, a little, I'm a, I have a little Southern Baptist in me, so I say those things. <laughs> but I'm honored to be with these young people and to come alongside Chris and the work that you're doing, and I'm super excited about this trip. Chris? Thank you. Thank you. I'm Chris Hacker. I'm the Director of Youth Ministry here, and it's been an amazing privilege for me to work with these kids. They are so gifted, and they are so talented. And like Rich said, it's been actually more than a dec decade since we've taken a group of youth on an international missions trip, and I get goosebumps knowing that it's happening this year. So we're very, very excited. Um, what we ask is honestly for your prayers, because it's not myself sending the kids, it's not Rich, it's not our pastors, it's you guys as our church family sending these young people out um, in God's name. And so. I just ask over the coming months that you would be praying up this team of youth. And also, we have this opportunity, this amazing opportunity next Sunday on February 25th, we'll be receiving a special offering as a church that is specifically to send these youth to the Dominican Republic. So be please be praying about that this week. Thank you. Isn't it a fabulous time to belong to the, the Church of Jesus Christ here at Rancho Santa Fe in the Village Church? It's a great time for us to belong to this church, but also to be the church. And as the church, we give of our time and our talent and our treasure. So people of God, listen to how God calls you to give and give with a grateful and generous heart.
You may be seated. Come, let us have a word with the Lord. Let us bow in prayer. Almighty God, from whom has come every blessing and to whom all things owe their existence, we humbly and expectantly bow before you in prayer. Though we cannot understand the depth of your love or the height of your power, we do know that you love us, that you give us your attention, and that you will goodness for us that is beyond our comprehension. Thank you, gentle shepherd, for your provision for our lives, for air, sunshine, earth, and the breath of life. We thank you. For family, friends, and productive work to do, thank you. For feelings, thoughts, and deep questions of life, thank you. For creativity, for beauty and enjoyment of the simple pleasures of life, like Rice Krispie treats, we thank you. For you, for your wisdom and mercy and peace, thank you. May we ask you, Lord, for things that we think you would want for others. Some of our friends are struggling with diseases that threaten their lives. Some are finding it difficult to love themselves. Some are saddened by relationships that have turned sour. And some cannot find the peace that you offer when we know you. Be with these friends, Lord, for the sake of your love. Lord, we'll never know most of the people in this world, but we know that you know them. So we pray for people who are strangers to us. Some of them are killing each other. Some are starving for food. Some are trying to recover from floods or earthquakes or fires. Some are fighting for political freedom, and some are trying to enslave others. We feel powerless, but we know that you have power. Power to convict of sin, to melt hatred, to instill courage, and to accomplish your will. God, we know that you know that we care about ourselves too. We want to care about ourselves in the way that you care for us. And we want to grow to become more like the people whom you had in mind when you created us in your image. So Lord, continue your work today of reshaping us, of strengthening us, of helping us walk with more courage and conviction of leading us into those pathways of justice and mercy and truth. Help us then to join you in your work of redeeming the world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who gave us these words for our prayers and now we say them together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Here are some readings from the Gospel according to John. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip then went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them by saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from the hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to the heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world even existed. The word of the Lord. I like basketball. I know that's a little ironic when you consider that uh, I would never make the team, but one can only hope. One of my favorite players is Kevin Wayne Durant. He's an American professional basketball player for the Phoenix Suns. And uh, he's widely regarded as one of the greatest players in NBA history. He's won two NBA championships, an NBA Most Valuable Player Award, two Finals MVP Awards, two NBA All-Star Game Most Valuable Player Awards, four NBA scoring titles, three gold medals in Olympic basketball history, and that's just the beginning of the list. He's done a lot. He's achieved a lot. He's also a philanthropist. He gives his time and energy to at-risk kids in at-risk neighborhoods. He's a Christian that seeks to live his life by the teachings of Jesus. And with all of that, he has earned the people's attention. Followers of the sport respect what he has to say because of what they've seen with their own eyes, what they've witnessed, how he has walk the talk of who he is as a person and how he has come through, certainly, with the sport. He's earned their attention, and followers of the sport respect what he has to say, and, and also what he has communicated on the court and off the court. His words and his actions align. He is a respected voice 
but he's also a person who knows and pays vigilant attention to the deepest story of his own accomplishments and success. His earned, his earned platform is to lift up the source of his success. In May of 2014, after winning his first NBA Most Valuable Player Award, Kevin Durant rose to accept the trophy and gave a brilliant, heartfelt speech thanking everyone who had helped him along the way to get to where he was today. But then he began to talk about his mother, who was also sitting in the front row at the time. And as he started to talk about his mother, he started to cry. And through his tears, he described what it was like growing up, moving from apartment to apartment, dirt poor, and his mom always making sure that wherever they were living, he had a safe place to practice basketball. And how she made it her mission to make sure that he followed his passion. He said this, we weren't supposed to be here. You made us believe. You kept us off the street and you put clothes on our backs and food on the table. When you didn't eat, you made sure we ate. You went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed for us. You're the real MVP. In that moment, you see, the son's love glorified the mother. His love revealed to the world what they didn't know, what a loving and kind and generous person his mother was. And in honoring and glorifying Kevin, all of those that had gathered, the people knew and loved this name that he lifted up of Wanda Durant in a way that they had never known before. And they would forever see her differently, understand her differently, and maybe even love her. By becoming who he was, this mother's hope for her son was realized, and in turn, she was lifted up. Now, that's just a simple story about the love between a parent and a child and what happens when that love is recognized and when that love is celebrated. And how much more vast, how much more wondrous, how much more compelling is the story of our God's perfect love and perfect plan for us and his only son's commitment to see it through at any cost. The unbearable light of God's love revealed through the love of the Son. So today we start the first in our Lenten series, which focuses on this world-changing work of our Savior. This series will combine two sections of Jesus' very lengthy discourse with the disciples before his passion. It includes a discussion of some of the major dimensions of the believer's life, and also the high priestly prayer of Jesus, in which Jesus himself reveals the true nature of his life and work. The prologue for our season will be John 13, 1 through 2. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Meaning that everything that we see and understand of Jesus is an outgrowth of love. Love is the compelling force. Love is the center of all that this scripture text and the text that we'll discuss is the center of all of them. We hope that in your Lenten journey that you'll reflect on the will of God for your life, that you'll reflect on it with the tools of, of scripture reading and study and coming together in community and hearing our, our certainly our interpretation we hope that you, the doors of eternity for each of us will spring wide open and that you'll be able to celebrate that and be realized that in the, in the name of Jesus.
Today, we specifically focus on Jesus' prayer for himself, which is right at the beginning of chapter 17. This prayer for himself that he might fulfill his mission and, and by fulfilling his mission, show God to the world how a savior's love reveals a loving God. For the previous four chapters, four chapters, and when we know that when we have an extended lengthy uh, uh, story, that that means stop, listen, pay attention, this is important. So for four chapters, John's narrative has provided an extended portrayal of Jesus' actions and teachings at the supper table on the eve of his crucifixion. In other words, at the Last Supper. So this wasn't just a Last Supper, it was a long supper. This was a long conversation that Jesus has with them. And with the start of chapter 17, this long conversation, this Last Supper, begins to draw to a close. And the way it closes is in this prayer. So what's known as the high priestly prayer comes at the conclusion of all of this, these chapters of Jesus talking to his disciples, preparing them that he's getting ready to go. He's getting ready to leave. He's getting ready, getting them ready for this monumental, magnificent enterprise that they are about to embark on, preparing them for that. So the narrative pictures for us a confused group of disciples who are unable to comprehend the significance and the magnitude, the sheer magnitude of what is being said or what is about to happen. The world is about to shift on its axis. The air is heavy with the prospect of Jesus' impending departure. I mean, these are followers who have dropped everything at the, at the voice of Jesus, dropped their lives and, and their livelihood to follow him, and now he's preparing them that he's leaving. I can only think, I can only imagine <clears throat> that their whole world is in a panic right now trying to get their head wrapped around what's happening. But before leading his disciples to the garden where he will be betrayed and arrested, before even that, before, before this intercessory, Jesus lingers for one final moment to pray for his followers. He prays that they'll be united in the mission to, the, to a sometimes and oftentimes hostile world, that they'll be together, that they'll support each other. It's a prayer for their protection. It's a wild world out there. It's a prayer for their solidarity. There's so much more warmth and there's so much more strength when we're together. And for their steadfast future after he's gone. But before the prayer takes on that kind of intercessory quality, Jesus stops and prays for himself. And Jesus asks that the Father glorify the Son so that the Son, in turn, can glorify the Father. And let me tell you something. That language, that glorification language, these are verbs that are the language of revelation. Revelation. Reveal. Let me reveal you. Let reveal me so that I can reveal you, so that I can let the world know exactly who you are. Jesus has made visible God's presence and power throughout his ministry. He's always pointed towards God in all the things that he's done. In the future, they fear so much this divine veil is pulled back and the face of God is seen in the face of Jesus, their Savior, this Messiah. The disciples are not going to be left with the human possibilities, but with the very reality of God. They are following God. They have a name and a, and a basis for confronting the riddles of human existence even though they are going to be living without the physical companionship of Jesus, which is the way we Christians live from the moment that we believe. But let me tell you, 
something is about to happen. Something earth-shaking, something life-changing is at stake in this act of glorification, in this act of revelation of God. It's not merely the agenda for a brand new religion that's going to be raised. It's the giving of life. Not just breathing or eating and moving, but the life of the age to come. This is eternal life. More sharply than any other writer in the New Testament, the writer of the fourth gospel sees that in the coming of Jesus, this earth-shaking moment, a change is about to happen in the eons, a movement in the world's clock where time stands still and it will never be the same, the dawning of a new day so that eternity can be experienced now where everything that we've always known to be true is lifted up and we have a brand new experience. In verse two, Jesus asks for God to glorify him through the death on a cross because God has given him authority over all the people. In his actions, Jesus, as the revelation of God, has the authority to give eternal life to all whom has been given to him, the authority. And in his actions, Jesus affirms and expresses the type of authority that he believes God has given to him over all people. And in contradiction, and maybe surprising to you, in contradiction to worldly forms of authority, Jesus' authority is that of a human being willing to die for others. That's his authority. Worldly authority is the human power to take other people's lives and their livelihoods in order to expand your own wealth and status. That's the authority that we wield. But divine authority is precisely the opposite. As we read in Philippians 2, he being Jesus did not regard equality to God something to be grasped. In Christ, God shows that real authority, true authority, and thus true and real divinity is the act of giving up all efforts to gain power. Real authority is not absolute power over others, but absolute love of others. And it's shown in the willingness to give up everything including the divine status to express that love in perfect fulfillment here among us. And if we're really honest with ourselves at this point, we might say that the world wants to worship a God of absolute power, a God that we've created in our own image who will deal swiftly and harshly with people in situations we don't like and that we're not comfortable with. But that's our thirst to be right. And it's our delusion that we are. In Jesus Christ's crucifixion, God expresses the divine self as the God not of absolute power, but of absolute love. How much more absolutely can it be than that God would come and walk among us and give God's self to us? in life and in death. The first 12 chapters of this gospel, they show the glory of God through displays of power in miracles and teachings and the life of Jesus and what the evangelist or the writer of John calls signs. And in Jesus' hour of glory, this hour of his crucifixion on the cross, the author of John recounts no miraculous displays of power, not one. And one writer observed this, if the signs reveal God's glory by displaying divine power, the crucifixion reveals God's glory by conveying divine love. So what's central here? What is central among Jesus' concern? For him, the culmination of his work is that we know God 
through his life and ministry. That's the culmination. His final hope, his final request of glorification is not a celebration of himself, but it's the recognition that his life and ministry are windows into God's love and saving purposes. That if we look at Jesus and we follow Jesus, we see God. So Jesus prays that people will come to know God through him. And that word know, it's really such a weak word in English. It's not like I know what's on television on Tuesday night. Or it's not like I know where to find the mustard in Costco. That's not the kind of know that we're talking about. This knowing, this knowing God describes a powerful, active, confessional, and intimately relational claim on our lives of being connected to God. We know God. God knows us. And knowing God is an experience that draws believers into a brand new reality. Because we know God, we can never be the same. Never. And in this new reality, in this new reality that God calls us into, once we know this reality that's shaped eternally by God's vision for love and justice and service, that this reality can be realized in relationships and communities now, right now. It doesn't have to wait for later or for an eternity that we don't see. The eternity starts now. So how do we know that we know God? Knowing God will be evident in our obedience to love. The singular commandment of this particular gospel. And in other words, eternal life has deeply ethical implications for us right now. We are bound into that knowledge of God to follow in the footsteps of Jesus so that we follow God's purpose for us. We as followers are not received into just a heavenly afterlife as a reward for some subservience to a higher power. But it is an eternity of knowing God. Jesus states that through his, his authority over all people, he's been granted the love to give eternal life to the world. And Jesus exemplifies eternal life as a relationship of love and fellowship. That's what eternal life is, he says. Eternal life takes on a... Uh, takes place in the here and now and we are embraced in absolute divine gratuitous love jesus shows us in verse three that eternal life is eternal because it is divine love that is freely available to all creatures all creatures without limit and without regard to one's status or situation and in addition, Jesus says that eternal life is something that is not something that we possess. He never says that. He rather says it's a form of knowing. More precisely, it is the knowledge of God found in Jesus Christ. The good news of our Lord Jesus Christ is that the saving grace of God is for everyone. It's universal in that everyone, whatever their intellectual or moral standing in the world's eyes, is redeemed through this relationship freely offered to us by God with Jesus Christ. And we experience God through our own personal relationship with Jesus, who is one with us as a fully human being, while at the same time eternally one with God Jesus is the way that we truly know and experience our creator. That's how we know God, is by Jesus, our loving parent, as well as through whom we experience the gift of eternal life, the gift of knowing God. So in the end, maybe you and I are not going to win many MVP player awards. Maybe none. 
And maybe we will never have an international platform to bring our message to. But listen, each one of us, every single one of us, you and you and you and you and all of yous, can claim that we know one who walked among us who did incredible and miraculous things, who loved us unconditionally, who taught us how to live and love and live together, who taught us how to thrive together, who was the one and only true God, this very one that we know laid down his life and died for us. And here's the great news. On the third day, he burst the boundaries of existence and he opened the gates of eternity. We can claim that because we know Jesus, we know God. And God so loved the world that God would give up his own position of power to walk among us and to rescue us from our lost days and to love us for infinity. And you know what? That is good news worth sharing. Amen. Stand with me now and let us affirm our faith together and words that you will find printed in your bulletin. In life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, we trust in the one triune God, the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. We trust in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, preaching good news to the poor and release to the captives, teaching by word and deed and blessing the children, healing the sick and binding up the brokenhearted, eating with outcasts, forgiving sinners, and calling all to repent and believe the gospel. Unjustly condemned for blasphemy and sedition, Jesus was crucified, suffering the depths of human pain and giving his life for the sins of the world. God raised this Jesus from the dead, vindicating his sinless life, breaking the power of sin and evil, delivering us from death to life eternal. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Friends, you know God because you know Jesus. So follow Jesus and know God and know that God is love. And if you are obedient to this God of love, you will be in fellowship with the whole world. And may the love of God, the mercy and peace of Jesus Christ, and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. And all of God's people say together, Amen. Amen.